We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Wednesday, January 31st, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and this is the last show of January. The month is over. That's hard to believe. You know what else is hard to believe? How great today's show is. And it is a good one, and it's chock full of just good stuff. We're going to speak with Nate Boyer. Nate is a veteran of the United States Army, served as a Green Beret, then played college football at the University of Texas, then played professional football with the Seattle Seahawks, and now is starring in big-time movies like Den of Thieves, 12 Strong. He was in Range 15. We talked to Nate about a whole bunch of stuff, including the national anthem protests, and you'll hear from him throughout the show. Actually, it's going to air in two parts because we had so much to talk about. First part's going to start in just a moment. Second part will be in the third segment today. In between the two, Eric Gopel of the American Legion talks national security issues, including the opioid crisis and what threat that is to the American public and the veteran community. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to play the first part of our interview with Nate Boyer. Nate He's a fascinating character, a guy who grew up Northern California, wasn't really a patriotic guy by his own admission, ended up joining the military after uh, having a little bit of a change of heart when it came to that patriotism. Then after the special forces career in the Green Berets, decides, you know, I've never played organized football before, but I kind of want to give it a shot. Walks on at the University of Texas, makes a Division I football team, and then eventually makes it all the way to the NFL as a long snapper. He's a fascinating guy with a fascinating story that we are going to tell in two parts today. And the first part of it begins right now. And joining me now is a veteran of the United States Army, a veteran of the National Football League, and a man whose face you will see on the big screen more and more in the coming years, I get the feeling. He is Mr. Nate Boyer, who joins us now on the Morning Briefing. Nate, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right this morning. You know, I'm glad that I get to talk to you because truly a fascinating character and all begins, of course, with your Army career. So let's talk a little bit about that. Where are you from? When did you join? And then what did you do while you were serving in the Army? Yeah, I grew up in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, lived almost my whole uh, young life there. Uh, wasn't really, honestly, wasn't really a patriotic person. Uh, wasn't definitely wasn't you know anti-American or anything like that. But I think I just took a lot for granted growing up. I didn't really appreciate everything that we have here, uh, like I should. You know, I didn't really understand uh, that we were so fortunate and why. Um, you know, I had I had really good parents. I have really good parents. Uh, you know, my grandfather, both my grandfathers on both sides served in World War II. So I had that veteran connection in my life. But I just, you know, I probably never thanked them like I should uh, until much later in life. Um, but uh, it was 2004, and I was living down in Southern California at the time. And, you know, I, I uh, 
I felt this call to action and not necessarily in for the military, but just to do something outside of uh, my comfort zone and something for, you know, the developing world. And so I went uh, to, to the Sudan and, and uh, did some volunteer work in the Darfur region uh, during the height of the genocide over there. And just in the two months I did that work, it completely changed my life. I mean, I came back, uh, obviously, a, you know, a different person. And even when I was over there, it's like the time spent there kind of is where I gained my patriotism. Right. And I, I was just blown away by how appreciative all the people were there of an American that would leave something like this to go over there and help them. And it inspired me to want to serve my country, you know, continue to fight for those kind of people, fight for those that can't fight for themselves, but also, um, you know, uphold and what we have here and be a part of that legacy. And that's, uh, I came back home and I joined uh, the United States Army and I wanted to be a Green Beret. And that's, that's kind of why I joined and how that all happened. You know, and of course, a fascinating military career serving in special forces uh, as an ODA guy. I think a lot of people assume, and we've talked to a lot of Special Forces folks here on the show, whether they be SEALs, whether they be Green Berets, whatever the case, I think a lot of people assume that transitioning for them, getting out of the service, is going to be a piece of cake. It's going to be easy because they're just, you know, the best of the best, always prepared. What was transitioning like for you when you left the Army? What, what do you remember most about that period in your life? I mean, I had to be... I, I had to be very uh, flexible and fluid, you know, and understand, like in the military, especially in the special operations community, I think when we want to get something done, we just do it like right now. You know what I mean? We make it happen. When something needs to be fixed or changed, we, we just go. And uh, it doesn't always work that way in the civilian world. Um, things take time. A lot of, uh, there, there's a lot more, ironically, there's a lot more, bureaucracy than in, than in the military at times. Um, and, and there are situations like that in the military, absolutely. But when you're on a deployment and it's just your 12-man team, I mean, you're, you're pretty independent. You know, you kind of get to do, you do things um, your way. And, and when, when problems arise, like I said, you tackle them immediately. Um, so I had to learn patience, you know, and I'm still learning. It's hard. Um, but understanding that... that as long as I do my job and I stay in my lane and apply all those military ideas, um, I, I can't worry too much about the result. I have to kind of be patient with the result. Uh, and it may be something that I wasn't expecting in the first place. But, uh, I, you know, it, it's, it's been challenging. I'm not going to lie. I mean, a lot of people look at my life and think, oh, man, you went from that. You went right into college and playing football, and, you know, and now you're doing all this other stuff. And, um I work really hard, though. I've, I've sacrificed a lot, you know, including relationships, for instance, uh, to make this, uh, to make all this stuff happen. And I've, you know, I've, like I said, I've applied that that military mindset. Um, but it's not like every day I don't wake up and feel like I could do more and feel like right. maybe, you know, maybe I should sign back up. What you know. I still got my buddies over there fighting. But, you know, I have all those same thoughts. I think a lot of, of veterans have, you know, survivor's guilt and um, feeling that, that lack of purpose at times because we may feel like we'll never do anything as important as we did before. All those things uh, I definitely struggle with, but uh, I've got to remember that uh, there's a lot of young men and women that are chomping at the bit to do what I do as well. They want to be able to, you know, serve their time and, um, 
and, and carry on the legacy that I was able to carry on. Uh, but also there's a lot I can do in the veteran community. There's a lot I could do through, um, you know, this different for-profit work and maybe not necessarily military service related to still uh, help our community and change the narrative uh, that all vets coming home are, you know, either these super decorated war heroes or just completely broken. I think that's a problem in society that everybody thinks that. And, and a lot of us as vets, I think we kind of buy into that. And, and uh, I want to shake that as much as I can. And we're speaking with Nate Boyer. Nate is a veteran of the United States Army, served as a Green Beret, would then go on to the University of Texas where he played football. And as I understand it, you had never really played organized football before and then end up making the team at Texas. Of course, one of the best football schools in the nation and then even making it to the NFL. I mean, that's something for a guy. I mean, I, I did the math on the year you were born. You're a couple years younger than me. You were almost 30 years old when you got to college. What kind of a challenge was that for you as someone who really hadn't played before? And why did you decide to go ahead and go for that goal? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like you said, I've never played before. And with that came that regret uh, of not trying something that I loved so much. I mean, it was football was always my favorite sport. And I, I just, as I grew, it, it bothered me more and more, especially as I spent my time serving uh, and, you know, especially being a part of an elite unit like Special Forces, you know, you feel this confidence, like I can come back and I can do anything um, moving forward with my life. So I figured, why not try out? You know, why not just give it a shot and do the one thing that I, I, I kind of really regretted not doing a growing up would just play football and uh i trained for it my last uh, several months in the military i started working out a little bit different you know and doing more olympic type lifts and speed work and trying to put on a little bit of weight and uh yeah and i went over uh went out to austin literally the day after i ets i drove down there from colorado springs i was out at uh, fort carson at the time and uh the next day, school started, and the day after that was the first day of tryouts. And so I was, uh, I was just kind of going after it, you know. And it, it was funny because all the other freshmen are, you know, ten years younger than me. <laughs> and uh, so I think that was more challenging than anything, just kind of having that patience with uh, with people and you know, understanding that a lot of these are. I mean, they're they're literally, you know, they're just young people that uh, uh, have a lot of good ideas and. Um, a lot of energy, but not a lot of experience. Right. And, um, you know, I, I did what I could to sort of impart some of what I could, if it made sense onto them, whether it was a, a classmate or, or, a, or, a, or a, a fellow player or whatever. But, um, but for me, it, it didn't take that long to kind of, kind of fit in. Um, I've been good at that. I've, I've always embraced change. And I remember being a young guy on my special forces team, you know, and, right. um, I would have appreciated someone with a little experience, and I did appreciate those guys that had a little experience and age on me that, um, you know, treated me with a little bit of respect and, uh, uh, you know, definitely kind of took me under their wing. So I tried to be that guy. You know, I was fortunate to make the team, and that first year I didn't really play. I was on the scout team, and, you know, I, uh, I, I got to go in one game, and we were blowing out Texas Tech and run down on a kickoff. And I caught the bug, you know. I was like, man, I got to find a way on the field. <laughs> so that's that's when I uh, that's when I started 
long snapping. You know, I I, uh, I didn't even know what a long snapper was when I walked onto the team, but uh, I I just noticed that the starter was graduating, and I started uh, messing with it. And I I joined the Texas Special Forces uh, uh, National Guard unit at that time, 19th Group, and so I was I was kind of de- deploying every summer for about three three and a half months. Right. Uh, and that summer I took a couple footballs with me overseas, and you know I snapped any free time I had and. Uh, I came back, Coach Mac Brown let me try out for the position, and I was fortunate to to win the job and you know play for start for three years after that. And it's a specialized position, long snapper, that you know you can go on to if you're very good at it, a professional career where that's what you do. You're the guy who snaps the ball back to the punter, the guy who snaps the ball back on field goals, and just hearing that you were actually deploying with that unit. Now I believe same unit as Tim Kennedy. Is that correct? Yeah, he was in nineteenth group. I think he's in a different one now, but uh but yeah, he's uh yeah, he served that entire time he was fighting right. uh, for the UFC. Right. We had uh, him. And he's on actually and one of the guys that, that brought yeah. me in. I think he uh he was actually like kind of my recruiter. You know, he sort of brought me into the unit, so um Oh nice. Tim was a yeah, he was a mentor to me very early on with that transition. Right, and it's interesting that you talk about you know when you being the young guy at at your team, uh, being the old guy at football, but being the young guy during your army career. I, I think it's easy for people to forget that you know special forces certainly a rare breed that's able to accomplish that. But there are different levels. You don't come in the grizzled sergeant first class. You know you you came in at a lower level and worked your way up to that. And we're speaking with Nate Boyer, who served as a Green Beret in the United States Army, also the long snapper for the University of Texas, and made it to the NFL with the Seattle Seahawks, and even was featured in the Madden NFL video game in a very specific uh, storyline in the career mode. Uh, what was that whole experience like for you, you know, getting the media attention of the guy, didn't play football until he was almost 30 years old and made it to the NFL, gets put into a video game. How did you process that whole experience? I mean, yeah, that was <laughs> that was really, that was cool. You know, it was... <laughs> I appreciated them reaching out. I mean, my NFL career was so short-lived. I was—I uh, only played in one game, um, but it wasn't for lack of effort or even execution. It was just the fact that I was a 34-year-old rookie, and there's only there's only 32 long snappers in the league, yep. one on each team, and there's no backups, and so it's tough to break in. And uh, you know, I wasn't better than those 32 guys. That's just the facts. Yeah. So I. Uh, you know, I, I, I did what I could, but it was, uh, you know, it, everything ends eventually. It's just how are you going to bounce back and kind of transition to the next thing. And, um, I was always open to and looking for opportunities uh, to, you know, to do different things. I, I take wounded vets up to climb Mount Kilimanjaro every year as part of a clean water project. I, I co-founded a, uh, a nonprofit called uh, MVP that stands for Emerging Vets and Players, where we're bringing former athletes and combat vets together to help them find purpose once the uniform comes off because I think there's a lot of similarities in the transition of the athlete too. So I was looking for all these things and then, you know, I got I got reached out to, I got approached by the, the Madden series asking if uh, I wanted to play this, this Captain McCarthy character who sort of had some similarities to my story and would act as a mentor to the main... Uh, the main player in the game, you know, the main, uh, right, right, the I guess the first yeah. person uh, character. Yeah. And, uh, so I said, yeah, why not? You know? And, and it was, it was crazy. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen how they shoot those, uh, 
video games, you got to wear this like leotard thing with a bunch of with the golf like, balls on Velcro. or whatever they are looking things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> little ball thing all over you, and uh, they paint all these dots on your face, and then you wear this helmet that's got a you know a, a camera pointing right in your face, like a mirrored camera um, that hangs off this little you know connector on the side of the helmet. And then you're in front of these green screens. You got to imagine this whole like world around you. And then, uh, and then you got to act and act natural. And I don't know how well I did that. I actually haven't even seen the whole game. I've just, <laughs> I've seen little tiny clips. I need to go watch it. But, um, but like my first scene was like with, it's like with Dan Marino, you know what I mean? And he's, uh, he not only had an amazing NFL career, but he's done some acting, you know, he's a stud in Ace Ventura and all this other stuff. And, so I was like nervous. I was I was trying to hide it. I hope I hit it well, but I was nervous <laughs> as hell uh, during this thing. And uh, anyway, it was uh, it was cool though. It was I mean it was beyond cool. It was it was incredible, and it opened some other doors in that world. And uh, you know, I think that stuff's fun. Uh, my my main goal is uh, I want to have my own production company and produce my own content. I've, I've co-written a couple things now that we're uh, that we're developing that. Uh, have to do with that changing that veteran narrative and you know talking about uh, the different stories of our community uh, that not not necessarily the ones that Hollywood always jumps at because they're the obvious. So uh, anyway, that's uh, yeah, that's sort of what I'm working on now. Right, and of course, as you mentioned, kind of got the acting bug a little bit through a video game, which isn't necessarily the normal way to start it, but hey, Nate Boyer doesn't do things the normal way. Joined the Army, served as a Green Beret, got out, had never played organized football before, made the University of Texas Longhorns football team, made it to the NFL, playing in an NFL game. Really just an interesting career trajectory that now sees you in two films that are currently in theaters, of course, 12 Strong, which is uh, one that's really fascinating to me as someone who served in uh, Regional Command North, which was uh, the same location that took place, although several years later, as well as Den of Thieves. So, I mean, Nate Boyer movie star has kind of a good ring to it. I can get with that, but it seems like you've been working your way up. I mean, you, as you mentioned, the Madden game, you were in Range 15, which uh, we've had the pleasure of talking with several people involved in that film with before, uh, and how proud they were to be a part of it. How does it feel being yourself and seeing yourself up on the up on the screen with people like uh, whichever Hemsworth brother it is? It's in Twelve Strong. I always get them confused. But what, what's it like actually going into a movie, sitting down and going, "Oh my God, that's me up on that screen." Well, you know, as, as, as Gerard Butler put it, uh, you know, one of the, the the stars of Den of Thieves. You know, there's no there's no I in team, but there is an I in movie star. And, uh, that's a joke. <laughs> Just a laugh now. Uh, but, uh, it's obviously not a good one. So I should stay away from comedy. Um, <laughs> hey, you got to laugh for me, but I'm an easy audience. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I said, I said, you said, I said, you're supposed to laugh now and that's why you laugh. Let's be honest. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I thought I thought I got in there just ahead of it, but hey, I'm not going to argue with you. You're the movie star, right? Okay. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but yeah, no, Chris Hemsworth is the, uh, is the, that's the Hemsworth brother. Right. He's the good looking and, one, uh, right? I don't know. I'm not saying that. You said that, not me. <laughs> I'll agree. I'll agree with you. I'm the good looking one. That's there it, you go. Really. <laughs> um, no, but the, uh, yeah, it was 12 strong. It was awesome to be a part of that, man. It, that's one of the reasons that mission is one of the main reasons I wanted to be a Green Beret. You know, those the horse soldiers that 
that went in and built that alliance and um they, they were the first ones on the ground you know right. and uh it's just weeks after 9-11 um and, and one of the coolest parts of that whole thing was getting to work with uh with rob riggle who's been a hero of mine for a long time you know obviously right. he was a lieutenant, lieutenant colonel in the marine corps and uh you know he's he's hilarious he's good he's a good actor too this is his first kind of serious role and he played his commander um uh colonel bowers was his actual commander when he was over there he was on he was on that mission more in a staff uh more in a staff uh job at the time but uh, he was over there when that was all going on wow and uh yeah so it was that's really interesting to me i think that's more interesting than you know any any part i played and it was just a just to be around that, you know, that, I thought that was, that was really neat. And all yeah. the actors, you know, I was only on the set for a few days, but all of them, and they were picking my brain about the movie and I mean, about the characters and asking me things. And there's a, there's a scene where the helicopter is taken off. Um, the, 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 the scene I'm in actually, and the helicopter's taken off and they're about to go, you know, drop these, these green berets into, uh, uh, you know, to, to go link up with the, these warlords essentially. And, they don't really, they're a little, you know, these guys are a little confused about the mission and it's like, um, they know essentially what they're trying to do, but it's all, uh, there's a line in it about writing the playbook ourselves. It was all kind of, um, they knew there was going to be a lot of adjusting as they went, you know? Right. And, but they were willing to go, you know, to do that, to do that mission, take that on head on. And, um, so they're taken off and in the script, they, it said they were supposed to be singing this, uh, singing this song like some military song that i'd never heard of huh. i was like what song are they singing here you know and <laughs> the producers and judges they, they're like we have you never heard of that song i'm like i've never heard of that song ever i don't know what that is i said if they, i said they probably wouldn't be singing anything but if they were it would definitely be tongue-in-cheek and it would probably be the ballad of the green berets you know that's our that's our unit song and they're like oh what's that i was like oh my gosh are you kidding me so i went i went around and i taught all these actors that song <laughs> like an hour teaching them the song you know playing it on my phone so they could hear it and then and they all learned it and then they end up singing that song as they take off and it made it in the movie which was pretty cool so i, I was more proud of that than you know the the, the three lines i delivered of dialogue i thought uh, i thought that was pretty cool that, that that part made it in there I, it is, and it's such a cool story, and, and I wonder about, when I saw that you were in it, the perspective of someone who's, who's been to Afghanistan, you know? And as I said, I was in the North, and people like uh, General Dostum and General Daoud, uh, different people who I came across during my time there, uh, are, are in this movie. Like, these are characters in this movie. Uh, as someone who had been to Afghanistan, I know you guys, uh, I think, did most of the filming in New Mexico, right? Um, what what was that like? I mean, was did they do a good job of recreating the kind of things that you saw when you were over there during OEF? Yeah, I mean, as good as you, it, it, I think as good as you can. It's it's difficult. There's, a, I mean, I had a lot of guys reach out to me, uh, a lot of vets, you know, that had their concerns with certain scenes and you know there's not enough mag changes and all this kind of stuff which i totally get i mean it's hollywood you know and i'm with you on that because i feel the same way but um what i liked about the film is it wasn't it wasn't super political uh, it was not really political at all um uh, it's just talking about these 12 guys you know that's really their story and um they had two of the actual uh, men that were on that mission that were on the set uh, most of the time there you know and i'm not going to give their names out because that's a you know privacy deal but um i mean they spent 
they spent their you know their time making sure that they were doing everything right and um, you know, the, the best that they could anyway in a Hollywood format, especially considering you're I mean you're shooting in New Mexico and uh, you've got all these you know restrictions. It's, it's just difficult. Um, but but yeah, I mean the character that plays the guy that plays Dawson, I can't think of his name right now. The actor, he's, uh, he did an incredible job. I thought you know, and I've never met General Dawson, but. Um, I, I just liked uh, liked the way that that he sort of approached that, and I thought he was a he was a powerful character. And my favorite actor in the movie, the one who I thought encapsulated Green Brave better than any of them, in my opinion, is uh, was Michael Pena. Mm. Um, I thought he did a great job, man, lending that uh, like the humor to it. Because I mean, even in those worst times, man, we find something to laugh about. We have to, or we just go absolutely crazy, yeah. you know. Especially in the uh, when you're in those intense situations. Um, and he just, he did it. I thought he did a great job. Everybody did a really good job, but I, I did, I would give a little, uh, extra special shout out to Mike Pena. I, th- I thought he, uh, I thought he really crushed it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, a group of actors in that movie and, and in all the movies that you've been in, I think you've uh, chosen your projects wisely, if that's indeed how it's worked. And of course, 12 Strong and Den of Thieves currently playing in theaters, range 15, uh, which of course, uh, we know all about that. Uh, so many veterans involved, so many cool stories, disabled veterans playing zombies and other cool stuff. Uh, you can check all, you can check that one out at home now if you want to, as well as the documentary on range 15 and the making of it, which is fantastic. So Nate has obviously been a busy man helping military veterans stay connected we make it easy we're cbs radio's connectingvets.com connecting vets every day online and all over social media facebook youtube instagram and twitter at connecting vets Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And we've already had a very fascinating show today, and it's going to get even more fascinating. Why? Well, because we're about to air part two of our interview with Nate Boyer. Who's Nate Boyer? Well, if you heard part one, you already know. The Green Beret joined the Army out of high school, essentially, and after leaving the Green Berets, after leaving active duty, decided to attend the University of Texas, decided to try football. For the first time, had never played organized football until getting to the University of Texas, made the team as a walk-on, two years later became the starting long snapper, and two years after that actually made it to the NFL, playing in an NFL game with the Seattle Seahawks, and now has gone on into acting, whether through Range 15, his first appearance, unless you count the Madden NFL video game, where he played a, uh, a character kind of based on him, it sounds like, and now in two major motion pictures that are playing in theaters, 12 Strong, which is the story of the horse soldiers in northern Afghanistan that came in and fought alongside the Northern Alliance during the very early days following September 11th uh, during Operation Enduring Freedom. And then he's also in Den of Thieves with Gerard Butler, kind of a tough guy crime drama thing. You definitely want to go check both of those out. You know what Nate may be most known in some circles for, though? His involvement in the protests taking place during the national anthem in the NFL. As an NFL veteran and a Green Beret, he felt that, you know, there was uh, an an early days in the protests where Colin Kaepernick, 49ers quarterback, was sitting on the bench. Nate felt sitting on the bench was incredibly 
disrespectful and talked to Kaepernick and said, hey, you know, maybe take a knee instead of sitting on the bench. That's that's a step above. That's a little bit less disrespectful. Ended up speaking with Kaepernick uh, and, and understanding uh, where Kaepernick was coming from and saying, hey, you know, still would think you should take a knee, don't think you should sit. Kaepernick took that advice. Of course, it's led to, I don't know what you would call it, a rigmarole, all sorts of things that are going on out there with people arguing about whether you should uh, kneel during the anthem. Personally, I don't believe that you should. It's something that has very strong meaning to me, as does our flag, and I believe that people in this nation, citizens of this country, should stand and respect it at all times uh, when the national anthem is playing at a public event in particular. Uh, there are those who disagree. Now, what are Nate's feelings on the protests themselves? I had to ask him. I had to find out because he's someone who has a direct involvement in it. And he's also someone who's involved directly with the NFL. Not only that, but involved with a fantastic nonprofit called MVP. And you're going to hear about that and the flag protests in part two of our interview with Green Beret and NFL veteran Nate Boyer. Last thing that I feel like we need to talk to you about, because it's been a big topic of discussion in the veteran world over the last week again, and that is the national anthem protests in the NFL, something that uh, you were involved in, kind of the genesis of the kneeling, where Colin Kaepernick was originally sitting during the anthem. You wrote an open letter to him, uh, which led to the kneeling, and now there's controversy with AMVETS wanting to run an ad the, with the hashtag, please stand, uh, and the NFL telling them, no, they didn't want to do that, and it's it's just this whole thing has just continued to seem to go around and around and back and forth and in circles. And I mean, as someone who's, uh, you know, you spent time in the NFL, you spent time in the military, uh, you, you know this issue very well. Uh, what do you think about it? Do you do you believe that, you know, that that uh, as what I believe, I guess, is yes, you have the right to kneel there. I would prefer if you stand, but I will also defend your right to kneel. I mean, how, how do you look at it, I guess, is what I want to say, what, what I want to find out. Yeah, I mean, one of the hardest things I've had to do in my life is to defend uh, people that I don't necessarily agree with. <laughs> because at the end of the day, you know, what I've fought for is those ultimate rights and freedoms. And I don't have to like them um, or agree with them, but uh, that's what I fought for. And so I'll always, I always, uh, will lean on the, on the side of, uh, of rights mm -hmm. and freedoms. And then that's, that's the end of that, uh, sort of opinion, uh, because the, the shouting and the div division that's going on in our country and everyone's obsession with just being right and, right. and, and proving their point more than, uh, actually trying to come to some sort of a resolution or middle ground or, compromise um is just frustrating you know it's frustrating to to fight for that i think for people that don't even you know and and, and along with that we still got men and women over there serving fighting and we don't even talk about that anymore you know we just obsess over this issue um and so you know i don't know i i just hope from a you know from a from a demonstrator or a protester standpoint that you understand um that even when, when people like me continue to defend you, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt us. It doesn't mean it doesn't, you know, bother a lot of us. But I'm still going to defend you because those right. are the rights fought for, you know. But it, but it hurts every time I see it. I don't want to see that. Right. And also, the, you know, where that all came from, where, where the anthem playing the, the Star Spangled Banner at sporting events, where did that come from? It started 
1917, during World War I, um, at the World Series, it was, it was Game 1, the Boston Red Sox versus the Chicago Cubs, and they played the Star-Spangled Banner during the seventh-inning stretch. Uh, they had, used to have military bands that would play at these big, big games, and um, the third baseman for the Red Sox was in the Navy, and he was granted furlough to play in the series, mm-hmm. and he snapped to attention and faced the flag during the Star-Spangled Banner, and the rest of the players on the field, out of respect for him, they took their hats off. And then, before you know it, the whole crowd is singing the song and kind of standing together. And they did it again in game two. Um, you know, and, and uh, it became this thing to, to honor the, the, those that were fighting over there. That's why they were playing the song. Um, and then when the series went back to Chicago, they played it before the game. And they had wounded uh, warriors on the field <laughs> honoring them, kind of like we do today. And that's, that's why they started playing the Star-Spangled Banner at sporting events. And it wasn't until 1934, 17 years later, that the, Na- the uh, Star-Spangled Banner actually became our national anthem. And one of the reasons it became that was because of its popularity being played at sporting events to honor the military. And like, people don't even realize that. I mean, that is a true story. That's why we do it. So understand that. You know, It's not just some arbitrary song. And, uh, and I understand there's also those concerns with you know, the third verse and it talking about, you know, slavery and it being racist and all that. We don't sing that verse. Okay. Uh, We've come a long way. And, uh, and it's not so much even about the words. It's about what, you know, this country stands for. And there's many men and women of all colors um, that have come from all different kinds of backgrounds uh, that have been through a lot and overcome a lot that are fighting uh, for your rights. So just understand that and appreciate that. You know, there's there's plenty of veteran issues out there that need to be taken. Kind of uh, advocates at that level, uh, it seems. So, yeah. Anyway. And you know, it, it, the interesting thing I wrote an op-ed on this, and as you talk about the division and the yelling, I didn't even write anything about the protests in the op-ed, but I had someone uh, tweet at me that I was a white supremacist uh, as they responded to the article. I mean, it just it, it seems to go from zero to ten so quickly. The interesting thing and what the op-ed was about is that with the discussion on the anthem protests, to me it seems at least that one side of the discussion is given a free pass to to get into it. They're allowed to have you know their opinions, their statements, their rights. But then anyone who who questions that and says, you know, I disagree with this. I think that you should stand for it. Is is chastised? It seems like, oh, it's their right to kneel. No one's saying that it shouldn't be, but they're saying, you know, that I, I would prefer if you stand. How do you look at it like that when you see again this division that that goes on between us? And I know in 2017 you wrote another open letter that was just about the the anger coming from all sides on on so many things. This included. Do you think that there's a way for us to get past this? And 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 what do you think that way might be? Yeah, there absolutely is, and, and I think we will. It's just this continued discussion and, and more people, more voices of reason um, that have a platform, a large platform. I don't have that big of a voice as compared to some of these people. Mm. Uh, I, I, I truly believe, you know, like Colin Kaepernick should be unifying our country and doing what he can to reach across and embrace people that he doesn't agree with, you know, because I've done that, and a lot of people have done that. A lot of uh, veterans would do that. Um, and we fought for what that flag and anthem are supposed to represent, you know. And uh, I think we just need more of that from those those people, you know, from those guys. That and that goes the exact same for people on the far right, you know. Yep. You gotta you gotta reach across to people that 
that you don't agree with. You know, some of these protesters and demonstrators that, you know, you think are just, um, you think are just wrong, you know, or, or anti-American, because uh, they're not. I, I think um, protest and demonstration is very American. It's patriotic, you know, as, as weird as that sounds, uh, it really is. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be founded on. But it, until those two sides are having genuine, meaningful conversations, not debate, but discussion, um, then we're going to keep spinning our wheels here. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's what I'm, that's what I'm all I'm trying to do by, you know, by standing here in the, in the alt middle, as I like to call it. <laughs> the alt middle. That's where you're going to find Nate Boyer, Nate Green Beret veteran, former college and professional football player, now uh, acting superstar. You can see him in the movies 12 Strong and Den of Thieves, currently in theaters, and, of course, Range 15, which already came out. And, as you mentioned, MVP, which is a fantastic program, and we're going to want to talk to more of the people involved with that program in the future because as I was looking into it, you've got your fellow Army veteran Randy Couture involved in it, Jay Glazer, of course, noted sports broadcaster, Kirstie Ennis, uh, who's been on the show before, really doing some great things with MVP. So if people want to find out more about what it is that MVP does and how they might be able to uh, either benefit from that or get involved in it, where can they go to find out more about your organization? Yeah, they can go to uh, vetsandplayers.org is the website. And you can, you can follow us on social media, emerging vets and players uh, on almost all the social media channels and kind of follow us. And yeah, I mean, we, it's been a cool, it's been a really cool uh, experience, you know, Co-founding that thing with Jay Glazer, um, being able to open the doors of his gym, Unbreakable Performance Center. He's been so generous to to do that and give us a place every week to, to kind of meet up in Los Angeles and then um, and train together and also fellowship and you know find these service projects and and then uh, Randy Couture started a chapter out in Las Vegas at Extreme Couture at his gym and he's doing the same thing, opening the doors up and you know helping build that camaraderie again and that sets a team and um you know that's what we miss more than anything i think that lack of purpose and you know the man on our left and right and uh we're just providing that once again and you know it's been cool to bring in a lot on a lot of folks on the athlete side as well one of our biggest supporters and you know an irregular mvp is uh ryan leaf who uh you know had a lot of yeah a lot of struggles through through his career you know he was a he was a hell of a football player, and and he's a he's a hell of a dad and a, and a and a man now, and he's been a mentor to a lot of these young vets, and you know kind of helped them steer in that uh, direction towards uh, gratitude and and humility, and and uh, yeah, he's just been a he's been, all these guys have been mentors to me, you know, and and heroes to me, and and I'm just really blessed to be a part of the program. Well, a fantastic program and a fantastic story, the story of Nate Boyer going from United States Army to the NFL and now into Conquer Hollywood along with uh, some other veterans that are making waves out there. But, Nate, we want to thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, Nate Boyer, Green Beret veteran, NFL veteran, University of Texas Longhorn, long snapper, A truly fascinating guy, and Phil Briggs joins me to talk about this now. You met him at the Vetti Awards. You were out there uh, partying down with all the uh, the fascinating veterans who are out there winning awards for all the great work that they're doing. Uh, Nate was out there, I think. Was he a presenter, or what was he doing at that? Or was he just a guest? I think he was a presenter. I believe I saw him on stage with Eli Crane of Bottle Breacher. Right, right, right. uh, Friend of the show. Yeah, friend of the show. Been Um, a couple times. My takeaway from meeting him that I thought was really cool 
Because, uh, you know, I didn't exchange much with him. We didn't have a whole lot of time to talk, but I did see him there next yeah. to the red carpet. I did recognize him, reach out and shake his hand. And I we were talking just briefly about football. And I didn't yeah. get into the... I didn't get into the stand or the Neil or the Colin Kaepernick aspect because I didn't want to start a heady conversation at a and cocktail I'm sure he party. Gets bugged about that plenty enough by plenty of people out there. But I know? did ask him, you know, when you walked onto a college football team, you, like what gave you the sense that that you could do that? Did 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 you think that you'd make it or were you just out there to just, you know, say you did it, like a bucket list it, He kind talked of thing. about that in the interview, that it, it, he did believe that he could do it. He was like, this is something I wanted to try. It's something I wanted to achieve. So I set my mind to it, and I did. That's the kind of person who goes into become Green Beret, Delta Force, Navy SEAL, any of those things. They're different people who truly believe, you know that statement, mind over matter? Right. They truly believe that. Like, there are supposed physical limitations and mental limitations to what a person can do and handle. And those are the guys who exceed those limitations on a daily basis. The funny thing about it is not only did he walk on at Texas, he didn't play in high school. He didn't play pop Warner. He'd never played organized football before makes the team. And then was like, well, I'm not really playing though. Did they just put me on the team so that they could have a green beret on the team? You know, that kind of thing. Right. Found out the long snapper was getting ready to graduate. Said he didn't even know what a long snapper was when he walked onto the team. Tries out for that position, makes it. And by his uh, sophomore, uh, well, so he was a redshirt freshman. So his junior year, which would have been his second year on the team, he was, uh, I guess, a redshirt sophomore, you'd call it, became the starting long snapper for the University of Texas, which... I annually top 25 team oftentimes in the national title discussion uh in the in the past decade plus uh, of course you can think of when vince young was there and they beat usc i mean right, this right. is this is a big team and a big deal and he made it and made it to the nfl and was very open and honest in the interview about the fact that he only played one game in the nfl sure. and he was a 29 30 wait no he went to Texas at 29 years old, I believe. So he would have been like 33, 34 years old as an NFL rookie. They're like, there's younger guys who could be on our team longer who are, you know, are just as good as you. Right. He was like, listen, I, I understand why I didn't get to keep doing it, but I'm so glad that I got to do it. Of course, that tie to the NFL led to him being in the Madden NFL video game and the Colin Kaepernick thing where uh, Nate was instrumental in changing Kaepernick's protest because a lot of people don't realize this or remember this. Yeah, it was first a seated Originally, protest. he was sitting down during yeah. the anthem, which is still being do- done by uh, Marshawn Lynch of the Oakland Raiders, the team that uh, that I root for. Or did, because honestly, at this point, after the uh, the whole AMVETS thing, I kind of feel like I'm done. I didn't watch a lot of the NFL this year, partially right. because my favorite team was kind of garbage most of the year, like very mediocre. Uh, but also just, I, I find myself as I'm getting older watching less sports. I used to be, dude, I watched every University of Connecticut basketball game. I watched every Raider game. I still watch a lot of Mets games. Dude, baseball's right. 162 games, and I probably watched... This year, I probably watched 110 of them or something like that. So I watch a lot of baseball. That's the only one that stayed up. But as I get older, that combined with some of the NFL's issues, like you know the domestic violence issue, the right. uh, the the crimes off the field uh, not seeming to matter to them as much as the stupid penalties on the field or protests on the field, and then the AMVETS ad thing, just so many sour tastes in my mouth personally that I, I would never say like ah, people should boycott the NFL. You watch what you want to watch. You do what you want to do. Uh, Personally, I I feel like I might be done with it, Mm. which uh, was interesting because my uh, 
father just gave me a uh, Christmas gift of a Raiders ball cap. <laughs> I'm like, well, don't know if I'm gonna be wearing this that much anymore. But it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that's very divisive. And he talked about that, how divisive it is, right. and. I've heard people when I, when I told some people that Nate Boyer was coming on, they're like, Oh, he was the one who kind of started that protesting. No, he didn't. He was one of the guys who adjusted it from he helped what redirect he it. Yeah, as he helped more disrespectful it. because sitting yeah. down during the anthem is more disrespectful than kneeling. Uh, and I think also what Kaepernick probably saw is that kneeling kind of brings a little bit more attention to you. It puts you out there with the guys who are standing, but you're doing something different. Again, I disagree with it, but right. I, as Nate said, he disagrees with it. He says the fact that I defend their right to do it shouldn't make them think that it doesn't hurt me because it does. And mm-hmm. that's how I feel, too. It, it hurts. I do not like it. There are symbols of this nation that mean a lot to me as someone who's had uh, friends and countrymen and brothers in arms who, who gave their lives mm-hmm. for this country and had their caskets draped in that flag. Uh, it is it, it's 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 insulting to me. It really is. And I do believe that there are certain symbols in this world that should be, uh, that society agrees should be universally uh, recognized and treated with respect and reverence. And I believe in the United States, the flag and the national anthem is one of those things. And he talked about kind of the, uh, the birth of the national anthem and how it was actually a World War I soldier who was playing third base for the Red Sox. And when they played the national anthem, he was about to deploy over him for World War One. It was like his last game before deploying. Stood up uh, for the national anthem, and his whole team came out and joined him. And that's where it started. Really? Yeah. So a lot of people have. Uh, I've heard a lot of things like, "Oh, you know, the, they only started doing that in the seventies to make money from Budweiser or whatever." No, it's not true. They started doing it about hundred years ago for huh. World War One. Actually, a hundred years ago, since we're in the hundredth anniversary of World War One uh, over the past year now. Uh, you know, nineteen seventeen is when we entered World War One. Nineteen eighteen is when it lost. It's the centennial of World War One. So uh, the history goes back there, and and you know, Nate and that's for baseball. Yeah, that was baseball, but that was the first time that it was done uh, for a sporting event. And it continued on from there. It's been done other places. And it's uh, I love that you're such a history geek. That is so cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. And baseball uh, history in particular. I can talk to you about people like Pie Trainer and all sorts of uh, interesting guys. Uh, I think it was Ed (laughs) Delahanty who uh, died while on a train crossing Niagara Falls or something like that. There's so many great stories. It's just fun to learn about history but see Nate, one of that see that's one of the reasons you won't have time for too much NFL watching anymore because yeah. between the history channel, history uh, channel documentaries history and uh baseball season birds you know. the other day birds are fascinating <laughs> They're little winged dinosaurs little creeps is what they are little murder monsters that's all bird uh, birds are whether they're killing worms or other birds they are murder monsters with wings think about it but you're just Nate, a fountain of thoughts Nate, Nate real quick let me tie back to Nate Nate is clearly if, a, if I could for you. a very well read well researched person who who believes that people should stand for the national anthem yes however he believes in defending their right to not do so again right. that's 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 the that's the tactic that I took and I think most veterans take. I said on Twitter, the vast majority of veterans believe that you should stand. And of course, for saying that was called a white supremacist. And how dare you speak for all veterans? Not speaking for all veterans. I'm saying the vast majority. And listen, they were telling me, well, it's anecdotal. You've talked to hundreds. Well, that's just anecdotal. Well, at what sample size when I'm getting 95% (laughs) response rate, at what sample size is it no longer anecdotal? Or does it need to go to like a research organization to do that? Does the Pew organization need to run uh, Quinnipiac in my home state? Do they need to run it? 
You know, it's like, come on, man. This is something that seems very clear to well, me. Well, the comment threads and the Twittersphere is a very muddy place. There's oh, a, it is. There's a lot of dirt to And throw I do stay above it. the fray. I don't yell at people on it and, like, you know, start calling them names and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never seen an all Except caps you. post I'll call, from you. No, and you won't. I'll call you names because they're all accurate, but that's it. So, yeah, Nate is a, a fascinating guy. And, you know, I yeah, think. Yeah, and if I could just share my takeaway when yeah. I actually finished talking to him was that, um, the one thing that struck me, because, you know, when he told me about walking on and having never played football, and I grew up playing Little League football, so, I mean, that really would have been something I would have been just so thrilled to do because as a kid, you know, I grew up playing the sport, and with him not doing it, I, I, I just had to feel like, what was it that made you feel like you could do that? And he just kind of smiled, a smirk, and he's like, I don't know what made me think I could do it. I just, I, I think I can do anything. Yeah. And it was that takeaway from standing in front of a guy that wasn't a towering, you know, house of a man like you figure NFL players are. Uh, he wasn't a towering house of a guy like you figure any Div 1 football player would be. He was just a little bit bigger than I was and a whole lot of heart. And it made me realize when I walked away from our conversation that, like, I got to stop selling myself short. If you put your mind to it, you can do it. And that's what this guy's vibe yeah. gives off. So in just five minutes with him uh, along a red carpet, I walked away more motivated than I was when I started. And I think that's the essence of the Nate Boyer that you Nate spoke Boyer with. can do anything he puts his mind to. Phil Briggs can do some things that he puts his I mind know, to. Right? You're not going to be doing like 100 push-ups by the end of the year or 100 pull-ups by the end of the year. No. Push-ups, maybe. Maybe. You could get to 100 push-ups. I can do them the in sets of 10, maybe. I, I think right now I could probably do like 50, and that's about it. I, I stepped on the scale the other day and was like, well, clearly this is a manufacturer's defect. Right. Stepped on another one and was like, well, this one's slightly less effective, but ooh, still. Uh, Nate, of course, also with a fantastic nonprofit called Merging Vets and Players, he co-founded with Jay Glazer, uh, you know, known as a sports broadcaster with yes. football, the UFC. Also on that board there, if you look at their uh, their team, it's pretty fascinating. Um, he was the short little bald dude on Fox Sports, right? I don't the, know how short he is, but yes, he's the bald guy. He's my height. Is he? I don't know about that. I think, you may be, uh, I think you may be judging him based on the fact that he's sitting next to former professional athletes most of the time. <laughs> also on that board, Randy Couture, UFC fighter and Army veteran, also Olympic alternate wrestler. Kirstie Ennis is on the board. Really oh, cool. just a fascinating uh, Jerry Steinberg from Fox Sports. So many fascinating people on the board for merging vets and players. And you can go to vetsandplayers.org to find out more about them and what they're doing to bring veterans and professional athletes together. They have programs in Las Vegas and Los Angeles. They're really uh, doing some amazing stuff. And I'm hopeful because Nate, uh, after our conversation, told me, yeah, I think I can put you in touch with like Randy Couture, the natural. Yeah, yeah, that's somebody I want to talk to very, very soon about MVP and about his time in the 101st Airborne and on the Army wrestling team. Good times, Anyway, man. fascinating show here on the morning briefing today. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will be back tomorrow with yet another great one. Same vet time, same vet channel. Morning briefing. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 